This is Splice. Nathan, how are you? Well, how are you? And Rishad, thanks for subscribing. Hey, Nathan. Sorry, I was on mute. Um, yeah, no, I subscribed because I realized rather guiltily that I still had, I still didn't have a subscription. No. Well, yeah, better late than never. And then, um, yeah, I'll be in touch with you about what kind of issue you want to sponsor. Fantastic. I love that. All systems go. All systems go. We've been, we've been uh, uh, plotting about turning this into a, into a podcast at some point. So this is why we're recording. People seem to want to listen to the recorded version much more than the live version, which is also cool. Let's go. Let's go. Welcome to Splice Lo-Fi, everybody. This is our weekly live audio check-in with the Splice community to see what's up with everybody in the media ecosystem situation. <laughs> we're recording this. Uh, we'll make this available publicly on our website for those who can't join us live today. We'd love for you to speak openly here. If you want to be taken off record, uh, let us know, and we'll edit you out in post. Otherwise, this will go out on the big interwebs as it is right after this recording. Um, put yourself on mute if you're not speaking, but remember to unmute when you do speak. Uh, Alan and I tend to forget that every now and then. And also, finally, remember this is a conversation, so uh, we'd love to hear your questions and comments. So today, we're talking with Nathan Koka, who writes the Asia Undercovered newsletter. Uh, this is something that we stumbled on maybe, well, when, when, when Nathan started uh, the newsletter about two years and 10 months ago, apparently. Um, and Nathan, back then, you started this, this newsletter because you basically, well, you wrote, uh, Trump's election has only made things worse. In the past year and a half, the US media has become laser focused on one single man and his actions. Uh, it's really it's really interesting to see how we've 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 changed from then, right? Uh, with with a new administration uh, in, in the White House, um, how do you look back now at at the at the start of your newsletter, and where do you think it's going to go? Yeah, well, thanks. Um, yeah, that, it's, so it's almost three years, which is kind of amazing. So I guess that makes us newsletter this newsletter one of the oldest ones, um, and. Yeah, at that time, it kind of came out of my frustrations as a freelance journalist trying to pitch a lot of those media outlets in the West, in the, in especially in the US, um, that just didn't seem interested in stories about Asia and were really just overly focusing on Trump. Um, and two and a half year, years later, I mean, Trump is no longer in the White House, but I don't think the situation has really changed that much. Um, I don't. I still don't really think there's that much space for like Asia-centric uh, reporting in mainstream global media. Um, so, the, but the news, the newsletter has kind of evolved from being something that was just like addressing my frustration to being, I guess, like, actually, like one thing that surprised me, I kind of thought the audience would be more kind of people in the US or Europe that wanted to know more about Asia, but actually the main audience is people in Asia that I think want to know more about um, their neighboring countries and what's going on across the region because they're actually getting news from the same sources. Um, and they, so that's that's been interesting. So I've been trying to, that the newsletter actually, it didn't really hit the audience I thought it was. It was actually hit a much different audience than I expected. Yeah, I, I, I for one, you know, as a as a reader of your newsletter, I mean, I, I subscribe because it gives me a chance to to get a broader view of what's going on in this region. As 
yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's almost a cliche now to uh, to say that Asia is diverse and and whatnot, but that's exactly what it is, and that's why a newsletter like yours um, is is so important to me. Uh, Aaron Cook's uh, newsletter is also you know something that's very similar in in my mind at least as a as a news consumer, um, and I, I definitely feel like like there's a need to uh, more of this out there. Um, but you know, in terms of of the stories that, that you've been covering over the last uh, you know almost three years, do you do you see a, a change in um, in what's available out there for for news consumers when it comes to Asia stories, or is it increasingly harder for you to find interesting stories? It's a good question. I think I think the at least from the local news environment within countries in South and Southeast Asia, South Asia, and East Asia, I think there are a lot of interesting. Um, like I guess local newsletters, but also kind of startups like New Bloom and products like Global Voices that are um, doing some really interesting local reporting and kind of like filling in the gap. And I think there's also been interesting things from like the Pulitzer Center, um, their crisis reporting fund that has funded Rainforest Journalism Network in Southeast Asia. Um, so that's helping local media outlets also um, do more regional and local coverage. So I think, yeah, I think for me, I, I don't know if it's just because I've gotten better at finding stories or there are more stories, but I definitely think it has been easier to find interesting stories. And kind of my angle for Asia Undercovered is like stuff that you wouldn't see in global headlines, but also stuff being done by local reporters in various countries around the region and kind of stories that kind of go against the grain or go against kind of like what you expect from a particular country. So kind of anti-narrative or different types of narratives that challenge um, kind of the preconceptions that exist. Um, and I, I'm also heartened by, like, I just sent out the newsletter or the Q&A with um, Wampan Pajai today, who's a 22-year-old Thai journalist and doing some really amazing reporting in Thailand on stories like I never would have noticed otherwise. So I, I am heartened, and her newsletter is, I would highly recommend people to read it because she's very positive about the role young people can play in reporting about Asia and the, what she sees as kind of the the need for people to engage and to tell different types of stories out there. But sorry, Nathan, I wanted to ask you about, uh, I wanted to do a little flashback here and, and ask you to tell us a little about your journey through journalism uh, and how it brought you to Asia Undercover. When I look at your LinkedIn page, for example, what se you seem to have done so many cool different things, but what seems to leap out is how good you are at community. Yeah. Um, so the yeah, I guess the surprising thing is that I never planned to be a journalist. Um, I have been doing freelancing for five or six years, um, and I came into journalism as I was working in Southeast Asia, um, doing NGO work and consulting work and communications work because I saw a need for like there were lots of just interesting stories that I was coming across that weren't being reported, and I saw like a an opportunity and a, and a gap to tell stories about so at that time focusing on Indonesia, but over time kind of realizing, you know, it's actually the interconnections between Asian countries that aren't being reported well enough. And I wanted to fill in that gap. Um, I never saw myself as a competitive journalist. I never saw myself as a journalist trying to like beat other people to a story. I thought there's plenty of stories in Southeast Asia and all across Asia for everybody. It's just like finding the ones that are interesting. And then I think, the reason I started the newsletter is like, well, there's no way I'm going to be the one that's from, you know, doing all this reporting. Let me 
there's also a place for me to like use my ability as a communicator and the you know my ability to reach audience in different places to help other people's stories get attention. Yeah, and I also I guess one other thing is like I really I like being a freelancer because I like the opportunity to work for different publications and do different projects and kind of take on different and different efforts like the newsletter. Um, I actually have no I don't have much interest in working on staff for a publication because I think that would constrain me and not allow me to explore kind of the interesting stories and opportunities that are out there. Talk a little bit about about um, your your journey as a freelancer and. Uh... You know, I, I'm I'm intrigued because, you know, on on the one hand, you are freelancing for for a number of publications. On the other hand, you've got this excellent newsletter. Um, does the new do you do you ever think of the newsletter as a way to get your name out there and to find new work? Yes, definitely. So, so yeah, I, I so I launched a newsletter when it first launched, like almost three years ago. It was just completely a free product, um, and at that time, I just it was I kind of saw it as like I was already taking the time to find all these stories. So putting them in a newsletter wasn't a huge amount of extra work. Um, and then the second part is exactly what you said. I saw as a way like, okay, I can um, keep my name every week in people's inboxes. And that's a good way for them to kind of realize who I am and um, reach out to me for potential work op story opportunities, reporting opportunities. Um, and I shifted to a paid version um, because the newsletter performed so well. And I thought it'd be great to start doing like more original content. Because initially it was just a weekly gather, weekly roundup of stories, and since we went to the subscriber model, we're doing like the Q and A's, the media analysis, and these special issues that are more thematic focused. Um, but definitely, I found like in terms of income, the newsletter only generates maybe five or ten percent of my income, uh, which is not even cover the time I put into it. But I think in terms of reputation, in terms of the fact that. There's quite a lot of editors and media professionals on the list. Um, I think the value in terms of building my brand, even though I don't like saying my calling myself a brand, but building my reputation, my brand is actually definitely worth the effort I put into the newsletter and the well, time I, I put in. You're, you're you're definitely too modest here. Um, I think your your brand is definitely being carried by by the newsletter and also just just a byline. Um, you know, the other thing I like about the newsletter is is how well you you profile uh, other freelancers out there. You know, you've you've basically helped create a stage for them where they get recognized and uh, and, and discovered as well. Tell me how how you got started on that on that journey. Uh, this is was this something that you wanted to do when when you first started the newsletter covering freelancers like Mong, who happens to be on on this call today as well. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't. It actually wasn't an idea. Um, I didn't have any idea I would do that when I started. It was really just like, I'm going to do this weekly roundup and um, maybe some other things in the future. Um, but I was like, one of my favorite podcasts is the long form podcast. I don't know if you people here know it, but it's they basically interview most almost all American journalists. Um, and quite a few of them are like people who traveled abroad and did reporting in different countries and they talk about their experiences. Um, and I thought like the stories about journalists that are already in those countries, especially freelancers and people doing different types of reporting were not being told. Um, so the, Q, the, the first Q&A was just like, let me just test this. Let's see if people, if our readers are interested in like hearing from journalists directly. And the response from the first one with uh, Brian, Brian Hill from New Bloom, a Taiwanese journalist was very, very positive. So I kept that series going because I've, it seems like there is a need, people wanna hear these stories. Um, and uh, Meng, I believe you were the second one. He's here um, joining us today. 
I'd love to hear your thoughts as as someone. So Dan, I I don't do the interviews myself. Most of them, Daniela, who works with me on the newsletter, um, is the one that usually does them. Um, and I wanted them to be like in that kind of Q and A format because I just wanted people to have the space to tell from their perspective their stories and their experiences reporting. Um, because even even for me, I don't know what it's like to report from like the Philippines as a Filipino journalist or from Thailand as a Thai journalist. So it's really interesting to me as well. As as a as an American journalist in the region, I wanted to uh, I wanted to jump on that and and ask uh, Mong if if Mung, if you'd be willing to speak about your experience. Um, how do you feel this uh, being profiled like this helps the ecosystem? Well, I've been reading uh, Nitin for many years already, so I was uh, pleasantly surprised uh, about the profile. At the same time, it allowed me. To to reflect on my work as a journalist, as a blogger covering uh, Asia Pacific. And you know, I appreciate initiatives like the newsletter by Nitin because it provides a platform to highlight issues that are usually undercovered by mainstream media or stories that are not really properly reported uh, by the Western media. And so if you look at the newsletter, the first thing that I always read in the newsletter is the solution part, where, they, where the newsletter highlights concrete initiatives by uh, different communities in highlighting uh, several problems in, the, in, their, in their place. Another realization from the newsletter is that this, this, these stories are reported in English, but there are other stories as well which are not written in English. So there is a big... Uh, resource that we can continue to highlight about the stories in our region. And I, for me, uh, featuring freelance journalists like me and other writers in the region is a good way of showing that uh, aside from Western media, we can always uh, uh, look and tap the, the insight of different writers across the region. I completely agree. Um, I love that you know some of my favorite kind of journalists, Mong, are are people who come from other parts of life. Uh, you know, you've come from law and you've come from activism, and you know, I I'm biased, so it makes I in, uh, according to me it makes you it makes you a more interesting uh, journalist because you're able to tell those stories from that perspective, that you know, which is a perspective that we need. Um, I think so much more than we have it already, and I love that you know that Nitin and Asia Undercover was able to bring that out. You know, uh, Nitin, my my next uh, uh, my next question is for you. Like, you know, who's next on 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 the list? We're always excited, Alan and I, to to see who you're featuring. Um, like, what's your what's who's who's on Asia Undercover next? That's a good question. We haven't identified the next um, next Q and A, the next journals for the Q and A. But the we have a list of people. The way we've kind of done it to find people is just like we go through the archives and be like, which journals have we featured multiple times? Have um, we featured the reporting multiple times? And then if we find, if we made a list of people that we feature multiple times, including uh, Mung, whose stories we feature several times in the newsletter. Um, and then we, uh, I'm trying to just find like a you know, some basic geographic and gender gender diversity. So there's people from different regions. So I think next, um, we're going to try to find someone from Northeast Asia, because um, we haven't had anyone. So Japan or Korea, probably, uh, or China, if possible. 
um, because we haven't had anyone from that part of Asia yet. We've done South Asia, Southeast Asia a few times, and um, it would be good to bring in another perspective. And it, I think going forward, that's going to be my my plan is just identify the people we 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 cover quite often and people from different regions that represent different a different demographic or a different type of perspective on freelancing or reporting from Asia. Um, but I'm really I'm like completely open to suggestions if people want to be featured or know some journalists um, that they really like that they think would be great to feature like they should let me know in the chat or and you know email me directly um, because I'm I'm not able to I'm one person and there's only really two of us and it's impossible for me to be an expert on every country in Asia so the newsletter is not I, I don't want it to be seen as like this is how you'll know everything about Asia because it's not true this is how you kind of get a perspective on different stories that you may not have seen in Western media um, that kind of help you understand Asia a little better. At this point, I think, um, you know, I, I we, we should invite our, our other attendees to uh, to speak. Um, does anyone have a question for Nitin? I see some familiar names in there, so I'm guessing that there must be some questions. Can you hear me? It's Karen. Yay, Karen, go for it. <laughs> Yay. Always with the questions. Uh, Always saving so, my ass. Fat <laughs> Karen. Always with the questions. I know. That's my new uh, Twitter description. Um, and I, I might change it for real. Uh, my question is, um, you know, there's so many, you know, just a large task of your journalistic endeavor, and there's the little tasks that, you know, put it all together. So maybe can you share what are the tasks that are the littler tasks that is really undervalued or underappreciated or people need more, let's say, understanding uh, and putting all of this together? In like in terms of like putting the newsletter together? Are you talking about? Oh, no, just, like, uh, no, I think just, um, yes, the newsletter is a hard, as a hard objective as well as your, your larger uh, intentions. Yeah, in terms of, Putting the newsletter together is just like me being me being organized using you know various Twitter lists and R I'm a big fan of RSS to help keep myself organized. But in terms of like larger like like my my dream was to like have this newsletter be a venue to help people in the U.S. better understand Asia because as someone who is is American who goes back and people just know so little, especially about Southeast Asia. Um, and I don't think I've cracked that yet. I haven't figured out a way to really reach, like reach regular people. I don't know if there is a way, maybe it's maybe it's not possible, but if I could find a way to like uh, make the newsletter more relevant to people who don't know much about the region, but I think should know a little bit more because of its importance, um, that, that would be like, yeah, that would be like something I want to accomplish. Um, but, and then I, like, I had this idea, I've done a few of these media analysis. So I was thinking kind of like Columbia Journals Review style pieces that kind of look critically at the state of media coverage in Asia, um, because I don't think that is really being done. There's not really a space. I think Spice does it actually sometimes, um, but uh, I think there's an additional space to do more kind of like critical coverage of critical reporting or kind of analysis of, how media covers Asia? What are the what are the problems? What are the gaps? What are the the cliches or issues? That, the cliches and I, like how does it actually result in bad outcomes to people in the region? Um, so I hope to do more of that. And 
those take a lot of time. Um, so it and they they take a lot of time and they are difficult to make. I guess there's not really good data sources compared to the U.S. or Europe to kind of really back those analyses up. Does that answer your question? Uh, yeah, it's organization is, I think, an ongoing challenge for all adults. I believe, <laughs> but it's uh, it's glad to I'm glad to know that you know it's in newsletter organization. It's still the key. You know, I love that you're uh, Nitin. You're in a position, um, you know, much like Karen was talking about the larger mission as opposed to the smaller tasks, and you're in a position to to be able to, you know. Um, from where you're from where you're covering this ecosystem in a position to actually thin slice the needs of what journalists want and what they wish they had and what you know and what if if i could wrap this up uh, we're getting to the 20 kind of 20 minute mark here so i wanted to ask you what what do journalists what do freelance journalists need in your uh, opinion and what can we uh, as a, as the splice community what could we do to help yeah it's a really good question i think if i if i look at it from like local journalists in the region i think like one thing i was hoping asia undercover could could do and i've kind of done a little bit by giving people opportunity to write special issues or through the q and a's is like Give them a platform to be able to, you know, directly pitch or work for larger global media outlets. Um, I think there's a big, a big challenge because freelancers don't know how, don't know, don't have the access to the same to the networks or the resources or the learnings uh, on how to do reporting um, for global media. And I think the more we can do to kind of help enable local journalism to become global so that it's not you know we're so we're not doing parachute journalism but also so you know not just in the terms of the who's covering it but also like the quality of the coverage um that you get if you are able to hear you know from local perspectives or regional perspectives within different countries i think that's something that's also often forgotten is that these countries in asia are incredibly diverse and if you have somebody just covering indonesia from jakarta um that's not really but worse, you could have someone covering it from a different island or a different province or a different region, you would get a different perspective. And I think those kind of less, those perspectives are even more missing. So the way, if you can enable, enable an ecosystem that allows freelancers to better be able to be prepared to report and pitch and work for global media, I think that would be, uh, that would be really great and really help, um, help, you know, help, help young journalists, especially helping young journalists who, if they don't have the resources, they may switch to another career choice because it's just so difficult to make a living as a journalist in Asia. So if you can especially kind of enable young journalists, I think that's really important. Yeah, I think we we share a lot of your your views there. You know, I think there's definitely a need for for better discovery of, of freelancers in in this region, uh, not just in terms of who's out there, but who's in the smaller provinces, for example, the smaller towns. Uh, who's got expertise in very specific areas like like the environment, for example. I think a lot of these types of, of things are often ignored or, or or gets lost in the weeds. It's always easy to come across someone who's going to write about politics or human rights, uh, but it's very hard to find something that's that's a bit more granular um, that, that affects specific communities. Um, we would love to to uh, to do our part in, in that for sure. Um, I just wanted to uh, quickly just take one last question from uh, from this group. If anyone's got one, 
Hi, Nathan. Um, I'm Samira. I'm currently the research editor at New Narrative and I've been following your newsletter for quite some time. And yeah, I just wanted to tell you, you're doing amazing work. Um, I, I actually wanted to like follow up on what you were saying about, you know, doing counter narrative work and kind of pick your brain on what do you think needs to change about the way that, you know, the West cover, like the way that the West covers um, Asia and Southeast Asia. Thank you. I'm a big, new, a big fan of New Narrative and I love um, I, I especially love the recent uh, cross-country collaboration you did on Cambodia, um, which was in the newsletter. So um, I think it depends on every country. Um, like, like in for like a place like Indonesia, like like too much of the global framing is focused on, for example, religion. In Japan, where I am now, it's like always focused on this like weird Japan trope, and doesn't, and it doesn't. Like if you if I picture a story that has some kind of something that fits to that weird Japan framework, it kind of seems like it's easier to report. But if I do something that's really different, it's it's difficult. So I guess challenging those, like breaking down those like frames that oversimplify Asia, um, I would love to see more of that. And I would like to see more reporting that d doesn't always fall back on those kind of stereotypes about different countries, um, which I, I think is yeah it's it's difficult and i think one way to do that is what like we mentioned earlier like with empowering more local and regional journalists to report themselves on different issues that are not um that are not overly i guess nationalistic or central centralized I hope. um and then the second part is like second thing i would say is just like a lot of asia reporting gets framed in this like u.s west to asia and it focuses on a single country and i think it misses the interconnections between asian countries a lot um and one thing that's been one thing that's been surprised one thing i guess i've been surprised as someone who started to travel around asia is how little people in asia know about what's happening in their neighboring countries so i think the more we can tell stories or report to people in asia about what's happening in, in the countries that are nearby that might be similar issues and similar challenges and build a kind of like cross-country um, understanding of, of social, environmental, human rights, labor issues. I think that's also missing because the coverage tends to be either country-specific or doesn't understand those like interregional complexities very much. Nice one, Samir. By the way, congratulations on your fundraise uh, this week. What a stunning number. and. What, what, what a great team you, you've got going on there at New Narrative. Um, all right, it's uh, 30 minutes past, and we, we love wrapping things up on time uh, just so you get the rest of your Friday back and, uh, and a nice way to welcome the weekend. So thank you, everybody, for, for joining us today. Uh, go check out Nathan's uh, newsletter. You will find it at asiaundercover.substack.com. Uh, still on Substack. Uh, <laughs> uh, check it out. Let us know what you think of it. And of course, you know, definitely subscribe to, to it. Uh, Nathan is a great guy. His newsletter is awesome as well. Thanks so Thank much. You so much. Thank Nathan you. Nathan Koka, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for coming. See you all. Thank Have you. a great weekend. This is Splice.